This week on Flyover Country with Scott Jennings. It's it's hard to even just to to list out all the atrocities that we've heard about uh, because every time you list one, you, you you scroll down to the next article and you see one that's even worse. But what they have done to people, babies, women, children, uh, elderly people, it, it's awful. Twenty two Americans are dead. Uh, these these terrorists. Uh, I mean, just absolutely no respect for human dignity and human life. I mean, it's just awful. Attention passengers, we ask that you please fasten your seatbelts at this time and secure all baggage underneath your seat or in the overhead compartments. Flyover Country with Scott Jennings is prepared for takeoff. And this is Scott Jennings on Flyover Country with Kevin Grout and Jared Crawford. Hey, Scott. Kevin. Jared. Hey, Scott. It's interesting to be in the hosting chair and not in the <laughs> guesting chair. Joe Arnold is on assignment. Sean, so I don't know where Sean is. He hasn't been around for weeks. Or <laughs> months at this point. I did. These Democrats have made it too easy to just sit at home. Not show up to work. And Sean is now victim to it. He's been cashing the flyover country paycheck for too long. I tell you, man, we're going to <laughs> have to get him back in here. But I'm glad and grateful to be with you guys. We're going to talk a little bit about uh, the... War going on now in the Middle East. We're going to talk about the speakership, which is still, as we record this on Wednesday evening at 9.35 p.m. Eastern Time, still a little up in the air. Uh, We're going to talk a little bit about the Kentucky political landscape and some of the information and messages that are in the water. But first, a little breaking news tonight, right before we sat down. Breaking news. Yep, that's our sophisticated sound effects team working hard behind the scenes. It's just actually just Kevin in a fake mustache is what it is. Right before we sat down, we learned from media reports, Kevin, that the United Auto Workers strike has hit Kentucky. Yeah, the Ford big Ford plant in Louisville. They had a walkout right around quitting time today. 8,700 employees, I think I saw, walked off the job. Holy cow. And uh, brought that big national strike home in the middle of a pretty contentious governor's race. So Ford, Jared, is a massive employer in Louisville, and they make a couple of things here. There's a couple of plants. One is the Super Duty, which is one of the most profitable uh, trucks, I think, for Ford. And then the other plant, uh, they make the, what do they make over there? They make the Explorers over there? Am I wrong? Oh, about I don't that? know. I don't know. I know you're correct on the uh, top of the line models because it, this is a big financial hit, um, which you know makes it yeah. significant, right? It's not just you know one of the kind of smaller shops where there's you know few employees or it's not a big part of what Ford does, but um, yeah, I mean that is pretty significant, and it's just you know it's another right, like it's another sign that potentially negotiations just aren't going well. Uh, and so, you know, who knows what's going on behind closed doors, but it's yeah. significant enough for them to, to continue to close shops. And, uh, again, big day, uh, for that plant here in, in Kentucky. So instead of me just pulling this out of my rear end, let me just read someone who knows what's going on. Chris Otts of WDRB here in uh, Louisville, Kentucky. So they are striking at the Kentucky truck plant. And they also decided not to start SUV production as normal tonight. Uh, Workers are off the job. Um, And then on top of that, uh, there's going to be ripple effects because the Kentucky truck plant stamps parts for other Ford plants, Chris Ott says, including the Louisville assembly plant, which is across town. So there's two plants and so the assembly plant only, according to Otz, has three to five days of body panels coming from the truck plant. That's per the UAW. So basically, uh, shutting down the Kentucky truck plant uh, has massive economic impacts here in Louisville, and there'll be ripple effects downstream throughout Ford. You wonder, guys, just uh, how people in Louisville are going to take this. I mean, what I think is true is that the UAW is on strike because their paychecks just don't go as far as they used to. I mean, the real median income is down across the board. It's massively down in Kentucky. And these guys that get up and go to work every day feel like their checks just don't just don't go that far. I mean, this is Bidenomics in action, Kevin. You're exactly right. I mean, we're all feeling the effects of the economy. This has been the summer of almost strikes. I mean, you know, UPS it was was on I think I think 
don't really care about Hollywood, but they were on strike too. Nobody has the money that they used to. Everyone is feeling anxious and unsettled in this economy, and they just can't kick it. And uh, I think this is the direct effect of that. Yeah, Jared, it's um, you also wonder just from a, I mean, this is a big part of Andy Bashir's message. Like, oh, I'm getting the new big Ford battery plant thing going right. here. And I, yep. I don't know. I mean, the longer this goes on and, and the more ripple effects there are, the more people that are impacted. I, I don't know. I mean, I, it's yeah. all just co- sort of happening here now. But you wonder, you know, how do people take it? And, uh, yeah. and, and do people actually think that Joe Biden and his party mm. can do anything about this? I mean, Joe Biden went to the picket line, but he kind of, when he did it, sort of, in my opinion, took himself off the playing field as being a possible negotiator between the two sides. Yeah, you have to wonder at what point the workers might start blaming Democrat leadership for this, right? They're the ones who have promised them all these things, and they're the ones that have gotten all the money from their labor unions. And and pushed the the entire auto industry into EVs, which isn't panning out. Yeah, uh, which again, I think a lot of these workers are rightfully concerned about um, as products may get cheaper or production may get shipped overseas. And uh, and so I think they're probably rightfully upset about the current economic conditions. But at what point do they blame the people that are claiming to be on on their side, right? They're claiming to sort of be, you know, their rah-rah cheerleaders and they're looking up and they're like, hey, you're shipping my job overseas. I can't pay my rent. I can't buy groceries. Yeah. W- what exactly are you doing for me? Um, and, you know, when it's in another state, maybe you don't, you know, worry so much about it. Life goes on. But, you know, now here in Kentucky, it's right at Andy Bashir's doorstep. And He's made a lot of promises to these people and to this industry. And, you know, now it's, you know, what do you do? You, 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 you're sort of lost. And it's interesting, uh, Jared, the, uh, the news says that this plant in Louisville is actually Ford's most profitable plant. Yeah. Which, wow. I mean, I mean and, and, and we had thought for a while that they weren't going to touch this plant either because of the politics or because of the profitability, but is it, we keep inching closer to this actual contract expiring. Oh, here we go. Oh, I don't mean to interrupt, Kevin. So, so the what's being built is the Ford Super Duty pickup trucks and the Lincoln Navigator and the Ford Expedition. Yeah. I said uh, something okay. else earlier. Uh, so, so those things are big sellers, right. And massively yeah. profitable for Ford. So this uh, is definitely an escalation from the UAW, who had been saying for a while that talks were proceeding well. But yeah. I think this is a sign that you know. A lot of these auto workers are mad about all the subsidies that have gone into these electric vehicle production and these battery plants. And a lot of this stuff's being located in red states like Kentucky that have right to work. And uh, it's interesting. I I don't think the Democrats really understood the (laughs) downstream union political ramifications of of what they were doing. And, you know, I I just—I'm a total, you know, amateur tea leaf reader reader here, but I read these— these um, commentaries and sort of economic articles about how much money all these automakers lose on every electric vehicle. Yeah. And then I also read like things like earlier this year when uh, the uh, energy secretary Granholm was trying to like drive across the country (laughs) and one of these things and literally like they had to block the charging station and they had to call the police and it was just a total fiasco. And I'm like, if the U.S. Energy Secretary can't even take a road trip in one of these, how am I supposed to do it? Yeah. And so, I don't know, I I think these auto workers might have a point right? Uh, when it comes to the anger mm-hmm. that they've uh, exhibited here. Now, where they don't have a point, in my opinion, you know, this idea that you'd be paid five days a week for four days of work, and yeah. I don't know, some of this stuff to me, I, I mean... <laughs> I just it seems seems a little over the over the top to me. Well, this is the difference when we've talked about on the show between you know the rank and file worker and union leadership. They're pushing mm-hmm. for these aggressive, probably nonsensical ideas, whereas the guys on the line, you know, like we've said, just want their dollars to make their ends meet. They just want to put food on the table. Jared, the Kentucky truck plant generates twenty five billion dollars in annual revenue. Which is one sixth of the company's global global automotive <laughs> revenue. So this was I, I you have wow. to believe that whatever meeting they had today, 
about the negotiations yeah. uh, did not yeah. go well. Like, I mean, you just, you just have to you have to believe that, holy cow, they walked out of that room ready to— I mean, that's essentially the nuclear option right. of striking, yeah. I guess. Yeah. I mean, goodness gracious. And it seems yeah. like you, you mentioned Governor Bashir a minute ago. It kind of caught him flat-footed. He, Has he, what, what is he saying? He, he put out a—he he texted a statement to a reporter. Um, <laughs> he texted So he was really okay. ready. Uh, and it, it, it says well, in part— it's time of the night. Yeah. We need both a strong UAW and Ford, and my hope is they can reach an agreement quickly. Yeah, so he said nothing. <laughs> he said that, nothing. He's I mean, like, that, I, everybody's a good yeah. guy. You got friends on both sides. Uh, but, but, but also that statement could have been written six weeks ago, like yeah. on the start. You know what I mean? Like this is this is a change in what's going on. Those numbers you just mentioned, Scott. Like this is a much bigger deal. Yeah, one sixth of of their profits. I mean, that's in your home state. Like, to, I mean, that, it, it goes to show you, by the way. It it, it uh, you know Bashir's put a lot of eggs in this Ford basket. Oh yeah. And uh, and Ford for this, be- starts becoming a bad word around Democrat circles. That's going to hurt him. Yeah, and you you know you sort of it, it's, he's put a lot of eggs in that basket, and then uh, somebody the baskets hit the floor here in October. Uh, we'll come back to the governor's race. Uh, and Sorry, some... I'm just laughing. If, if Ford becomes a four letter F word in Democrat circles, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. well, look, I mean, it's interesting. I mean, they're you know it, they're a big corporation, yeah. and Democrats ain't too hot on corporations. Of course, Republicans aren't either these days. So. Uh, uh, hard to hard to know how this is going to sort out here in the in the Louisville community. Of course, Jefferson County, where we record this podcast, is the biggest county uh, in the state of Kentucky, and obviously will play an outsized role in the governor's race, which we're going to come back to at the end of the podcast. We're going to go over some uh, ads that have been dropped in the race this week, and also a memo on polling in the race and polling in Kentucky in general uh, that came out from Decision Desk. But I want to shift our attention to the Middle East since we last. Uh, recorded a podcast. Uh, obviously, atrocities, the likes of which are hard to fathom, uh, were committed against uh, Israel and people there. I mean, we've had it's it's hard to even just to to list out all the atrocities that we've heard about uh, because every time you list one, you, you you scroll down to the next article and you see one that's even worse. Yeah. But what they have done to people, babies, mm-hmm. women, children. Uh, elderly people, it, it's awful. Twenty-two Americans are dead. Uh, these these terrorists, uh, I mean, just absolutely no respect for human dignity and human life. I mean, it's just awful. Uh, and then on top of that, uh, Kevin, some of the things that have been said in defense right. of Hamas by people here in the United States and around the world, but but specifically here in the United States. I mean, you ever like talk to people and they say, um, gosh, I don't understand how something like the Holocaust could have ever happened. How could they have possibly, and how could people have gone along with this? And then you turn on TV and you see people on a college campus or in Boston, you know, somewhere in New York or Sydney, Australia, or uh, even in Lexington, Kentucky. Right. People having a rally, you know, praising Hamas for what they're doing. Um, You can easily see. This anti-Semitism, this brain rot, uh, runs rampant throughout a lot of populations in the world, and it's uh, it's pretty troubling, man. This is a moment of moral clarity, yeah. Because in, we've got a clip for Ben Shapiro. We can play it if you want. I mean, this is not a military operation against a target from Hamas here. This is this is terrorism up and down. They are not targeting the military. They are tar- targeting civilians and innocents, and the people who are taking to the streets or signing opinion letters or, or doing any of that in support of Gaza right now, they have made a choice and they are either ignoring the atrocities or they are wholeheartedly embracing them just because they, they hate Israel that much. They've been taught on these colony, uh, college campuses. They've been fed decolonization and all, all those other uh, woke words. But this is what it looks like. This is what the, the, the violence that has always been a part of that. And, and now it's on, out in front for everybody to see. Before we get Jared's take, let's uh, let's listen to Ben Shapiro. We had a had a pretty good monologue. Hey, here's a phrase I'll, I'll never use again: at least the Nazis. So uh, at, at least the Nazis uh, attempted to hide their crimes. Uh, so, so the Nazis obviously mechanized death. They had Einsatzgruppen units that, that drove up to to Jewish villages and would mow people down, um, and then they would bury them. And then they would try to hide the crimes. And it took you know the Nuremberg team years to, to undig all of that material. 
in this particular case, you have Hamas terrorists who are murdering Jews in their beds and then live streaming it and, and celebrating it and bragging about it and, and talking about how incredible it is and blasting that sort of stuff out. I mean, the videos that I've been showing on my show, a lot of them are coming directly from Hamas. I mean, it's Hamas that, that is taking contemporaneous video of this sort of stuff. And that that's a whole new level of evil I mean, that, that, to, to celebrate this sort of stuff, to treat it as a triumph. I mean, I think the thing that, that, that people really have to realize here is this is not a military operation. Mm. This was not a military operation. I mean, people have compared this to, for example, the 1973 Yom Kippur War. That was an awful moment in Israel's history when it was taken by surprise by the combined Arab armies around it. But that was a military operation with a military objective, which was to seize territory. This is not a military operation with a military objective. This was this is an operation directed specifically at civilians. And and when we see, yeah, Ben had a uh, a lot of good points there. And uh, I think the purpose of live streaming the atrocities is to try to rally people around the world to to join in. Yeah, basically. I mean, that's what they want is. You know, they don't just want to kill the Jews in Israel. They think all the Jews anywhere they exist should die uh, and be uh, and be defiled. And so, I, I, to me, you're, it's like a PR offensive at the right. same time as you're having, you know, the actual terrorist acts. And honestly, Jared, you see people joining in. Have you seen um, some of these collegiate organizations yeah. and Ugh. also Black Lives Matter right. yep. organizations? They've been using this image of the paraglider yes it was yep. right here in U- at uofl university yeah. of Louisville, some, yeah. uh but a lot of college yeah. chapters of some of these groups were using it but basically you know these paragliders went into this music concert that's how they got in there and did unspeakable things and so they're taking the image of this and like saying you know cheering on these hamas terrorists by by glorifying the image of these descending demons i uh I tell you, it, it's been eye-opening. Just the number of yeah. people in the United States and in the number of just all over the place that think that's good, that that should be celebrated. Right. I mean, if they're willing to cheer that on, what would they be willing to do or to cheer on in our own country, Jared? Yeah, it it has been disturbing to see the reactions from a lot of our leaders, leaders of, of institutions, political leaders, college leaders, you know, you know, to your to your sort of opening point, Scott, when you say, you know, how could this happen? How could, you know, did, did the media turn a blind eye or all these sorts of things? The, the amount of people who have talked this away or, you know, well, actually so many different things and, and the response and, and to, to question who is the good guy and the bad guy here has really shocked me. Um, I think especially... Um, if you've been able to, if anybody has frankly kind of had the, the emotional ability to read some of the accounts from the young people at this music festival, mm. um, the Barry Weiss, her, her publication, the free press has, has run a couple. They are, they're howling, you know, I mean, they're hard to read, but you come away thinking, okay, it's very clear who the bad guys and the good guys are here. And the the idea that there's some moral ambiguity in this battle right now is just it, it's it's just disturbing to and me. You truthfully, know, you know what's amazing, Jared, is over the years, the Democratic Party, the American left, has coddled this sort of pro-Hamas, anti-Semitic viewpoint. They've coddled it in the U.S. House of Representatives. Mm-hmm. I mean, the squad yep. is kind of built on this. Yep. Well, and I mean, we and Rashida yeah. Tlaib and AOC and I, and now now a couple of them have come. It took them a few days. Yeah, yeah. But even AOC was trying to both sides it. Yep. Uh, and just calling for a de-escalation. Yeah. Uh, <sighs> and so it, this this isn't like just sort of random, you know, academic wackos. You know, five yeah. or six people off in the corner of the quad. Yeah. This viewpoint is harbored inside the United States House of Representatives. Yeah, and in other well, serious positions, uh, in political organizations on the American left, and uh, I, which I don't think people—it's no longer just language; it's no longer just rhetoric. Right. It's now actionable. Yep. This is the results of your rhetoric. This is the logical conclusion of what you say you've been fighting for. You can't walk away from it mm-hmm. now. Now, academia has been really disappointing, particularly the Ivy League. Yep. But I'll tell you who. Was not disappointing. Ben Sass. Oh yeah, I don't know if you remember yep. Ben Sass. Yeah, former United States Senator, 
Now the president of the University of Florida put out an amazing statement today, absolutely unequivocally condemning all this and condemning some of the things he's seen come out of academia. So I would encourage you to look up Ben Sass's statement. It's about as good as it gets. Oh, yeah. In terms of moral clarity and not not giving an inch to some of these people that in, that inhabit academia. They're, that's as good as it gets, Kevin. There are also people who are about as bad as it gets. And, you know, I'm, you know, I hate the view. I hate this show. It's the dumbest show. And one of the dumbest, most vile people on the show is Sonny Hostin, who today was reading right off the Hamas talking points. But what we, and, and I, I understand the anger that, that there is there, but... Hold on, pause it right we there. We need to also Hold recognize on. that so the Palestinians if, 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 that if are... If you're trying to discuss atrocities on the scale of what we're talking about, mm-hmm. and you find yourself in the first few seconds saying, well, I understand why you're angry, but... <laughs> You are way off the friggin' stop, stop rails. Talking You're off yeah. the rails. Yeah. Well, let's just let's keep going. That, that there is there, but we need to also recognize that the Palestinians that are there now, that are descendants of refugees, have not had a democratic election since 2007. Yeah. Okay, that's because of Hamas. They did not that's vote hum- in because of Hamas. Currently, yeah. vote in okay. Hamas, and so. When you look at international human rights law, I'm just putting my legal hat on. Pause, this is not pause. the Sonny hat. Okay, so 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 what Sonny is doing here is saying, now I'm gonna disembody my thoughts here because I don't <laughs> because I know what I'm about to say is yeah. going to be so egregious. So I want to try to divorce myself from my own views by claiming that I'm some like alter ego lawyer, therefore I'm absolved from the absolute horseshit I'm about to say, Kevin the anger but when you decide to retaliate collectively against a people that is also in violation of human rights law so we have to look people at human shields so we have the to israelis are warning all of the civilians exactly. we have israelis all right so here's the thing i was proud that the other people on the view actually jumped on hosting yeah. over this I, i've never never been happy to hear joe joy behar I mean, even Whoopi, yeah. who said, hasn't she had to apologize for anti-Semitic <laughs> statements? I think at least once. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, at least one, maybe twice. Even she even she was able to perceive. Maybe it, maybe it's not so hard <laughs> to decide who the good and bad guys right. are. But this whole, like, well, you know, it's bad, but the Jews, which is what Sonny mm-hmm. Halston was saying, yeah. it's hard for me to actually understand. I mean, ABC is a major media company. This is one of the biggest... <laughs> broadcasters in America and in the world, and one of their top talents mm-hmm. is so transparently pro-Hamas and anti-Jew and anti-Israel and anti-Semitic. I, I, you got to wonder what's going on internally. I yeah. mean, I mean, what, what if you were a Jewish person working on that show or working around that show or like you're off to the side and you're watching this unfold? I mean, I'd be losing it, I think. To know that I was here to support this viewpoint, Jared. I mean, nasty, terrible. We have we have said this for a long time. Like we as a show, but I think like the right collectively that the left has a problem with anti-Semitism. Yes, and it's never really been a story, and the media has never really picked up on it. And I was thinking today about like these like look Whoopi Goldberg and all these you know personalities. We had an individual in the city of Louisville who tried to murder the Jewish candidate for Louisville, who had ties to anti-Semitic groups, who was posting about these things on his Facebook page. And it just gets poo-pooed. And now when there's this real attack on the Jewish people, those same people can't even be like, oh, shit. Yeah. I was wrong. Yeah. You know, like I flirted with some ideas and I, I was a radical Marxist in my college days and I really thought it was the oppressed versus the oppressor. But holy shit, no, Hamas is a <laughs> terrorist group and I was wrong. Right. Like, not not only people, not only just just to just to follow on your point about the city of Louisville, not only did we have someone attempt to assassinate the current mayor, then a candidate, uh um who as you as you correctly pointed out, had some ties to anti Semitic organizations. Our newspaper in this town, just a few months ago 
published a column, an op-ed column from a few folks saying, well, you know, the Holocaust was bad, but it's not as bad as what happens to the transgenders every day. Yeah. And then they ended up having to apologize for it. So is there anti-Semitism in Kentucky? Oh, yeah. Is it in the city of Louisville? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's, it's, it, and what has been eye-opening, Kevin, is just it's in more places than you think. Right. And, in, and, and these are not places that are without influence. Yeah. They're in corners of the media. They're in corners of universities. These are influential institutions. And they couch it with, oh, we just want to de-escalate. We want everybody to go back to their corners because we just love peace so much. That's not what we're talking about here. These aren't two equal sides fighting. This is a terrorist organization trying to wipe Israel off the face of the map. And that's why, uh, I mean, President Biden said some good things on this. I'm going to go back to Mitch McConnell like we all should all the time. He said, we need to give Israel the space to do what they need to, to protect itself and solidify its right to exist. We need to let Israel handle this situation. You know, Jared, you, you were saying that the media just hasn't really covered the, um, the anti-Semitism that exists on the American left. Actually, uh, we can pull it up. Jake Tapper uh, said something on the air the other day I was watching, and, and he, it was something like, you know, this has been really eye-opening for a lot of people in Democratic politics about the anti-Semitism that exists in their own party. Well, it's not eye-opening for me. My eyes, eyes were already open because we've been looking at this. But the media over the last several years has chosen to focus all of its efforts and all of its energies on this topic on Trump because of the Charlottesville rally. I mean, let's be honest. Let's go back to 2017. And you had these idiots marching around with their you know, tiki torches they bought at Home Depot or whatever. Jews will not replace us. And so the media attempted to associate all political anti-Semitism with Trump. Yep. And he should not have said what he said after Charlottesville, by the way. He was an idiot about that. Uh, but what they, they, what they did with that was that's all they wanted to talk about. And it crowded out or it was a convenient cover for them not to have to talk about the anti-Semitism in academia, the anti-Semitism in the squad, the anti-Semitism in Black Lives Matter. I mean, it, it existed. They knew about it, and they just sort of, well, it's Trump. Let's just focus on the Trump, that one thing, and leave this alone. Now it's coming, it's coming up, and everybody's like, wow, I had no idea. Now you knew. Yeah. You knew. You absolutely it, it, knew. And if you didn't know, we, we told you. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. And it's also just, I mean, again, just like, we, you know, a couple of moms went to school board meetings, and we got task forces to go knock down their doors. Like, where were the task forces for these people who are chanting gas the Jews? Like, yeah, I'm yeah. sorry. Like, it's just like, it's, again, it's it's really, it's been like really disturbing for me to see this because I think we sort of knew it existed, at least in rhetoric on the left, that they had had this kind of anti-Semitic line that kind of ran through them. But then when all this happened, I, I was like, okay, of course they'll come to their senses now. And they just, so many of them haven't. And they continue to you know, justify these actions by Hamas. It, it's just mind boggling to me. Jared, you, you brought up Biden's speech. And so, you know, I've been obviously very critical of Biden. You might, you and I may differ on this. I think his speech from the white house was correct. I think the language was correct. I think if you, you know, when this is printed in the archives, you're going to look back on this and say, okay, this, this was unequivocally Correct. What I think he was missing was any mention of the $6 billion deal yeah. he just did with Iran. And this $6 billion thing has flummoxed the Democrats. Well, that money hasn't been spent yet. But, but if Iran is going to spend money on terrorism and they know they have this other money coming in, they can, you know, it, money's fungible. Right. And, and the U.S. government has said many times over time, well, money in these is fungible. And so I th- if, if they had been thinking, I think they should have put in, and, and by the way, this deal we just did, we're going to freeze the money because we believe Iran is behind all this. He should have done that. And now it's going to be Mitch McConnell and Tom Cotton mm-hmm. who have filed a bill in the U.S. Senate to freeze it, and they're going to try to do it by unanimous consent, and right. they're going to dare, Kevin, any Democrat to put a stop to it. Yeah, that's exactly right, and that, that's what they should, because 
Biden and Obama before him and just so many of these Democrats fell in love with this idea of a deal with Iran. And they're willing to forgive and look past a bunch of crap to get it done. I mean, the leader of Iran said, eh, we're probably going to use that money however we want to. Yeah, of course. It's I supposed mean, to be for humanitarian aid. Yeah, we're going to do it whatever we want with it. There is no deal to be done with the devil. Yeah. I mean, I'm sorry. There's no deal to be done with evil. Yeah. When you hear what these people want to do to another race of people, I mean, there's no deal to be and, done here. And when you hear how complex and how prepared this attack from Hamas was, like they had a model replica of an Israeli settlement that they were practicing on. Yeah. This, this is, these are not a couple guys out there. Hey, this is an Iran-backed group, Iran-directed even group, that had been planning and preparing hmm, for a couple years, maybe since the Afghanistan withdrawal. Uh, when yeah. America really showed its weakness, yeah, I, I think that the the uh, Obama and Biden regimes, you know, whatever. I mean, the, the people who have orbited them, their foreign policy orbit, total blinds. But by the way, something that the media has totally ignored. There was a report a few weeks ago that Iran had infiltrated with spies the U.S. foreign policy sort of core. Yeah, I mean, literally had. <laughs> People working for Iran inside the U.S. government. And so for us to say now, oh, gosh, we were really surprised by this. And boy, the $6 billion, man, that's for food and medicine. It couldn't possibly. It doesn't look good. And, and I think the average news consumer will look at all this and say, well, wait a minute. We had Iran spies in here. We gave them $6 billion. They back Hamas. Hamas is killing Jewish people in the most unspeakable ways. What? What is going on now? That having been said, I think Biden's got it. He got it right. They didn't deal with the $6 billion, which they should have done. I think Blinken has been weird. Two times the State Department has issued tweets uh, in the aftermath of Hamas attacking, basically saying, now, Israel, you need to... You need to, you know, you need to not be so mad about this. You need to stand down and de-escalate. Yeah. They had to delete two statements on that. That's not a good look. No, it's not a good but look. But he's going to Israel this week. Uh, he's there now. He's there now. Uh, and uh, and so, I don't know. I, I, I think that Biden is between a rock and a hard place here. On the one hand, on the one hand, it's so easy to look at this situation and, and figure out who the good guys and the bad guys are. On the other hand, a massive chunk of the American left think Hamas is in the right. Yep. And so, those people are Biden supporters. Yep. So Are they not? Instead of making any decision, he just goes to the Rose Garden, has a barbecue, and calls a lid for the day. You're more critical of them than I am. I, I mean, I will say also this. The statement that came out from the civilized world was good. Yeah. So I, I do think he's rhetorically gotten it correct. He has, even if the State Department failed you. What do you think? I mean, what, what, do, you, what do you perceive out of Biden? I, I thought his speech today was good. I, he, I mean, he appears genuinely upset at what he is either being told or seeing pictures of. Um, he, he talked today about he had brought all of his children to a Nazi concentration camp when they turned 14 years old to sort of explain to them, like, this is why we don't turn a blind eye. Um, and appeared again, he, he like literally pounded the podium a few times. And I think that's the emotion and the, the sense that he needs to give off right now is that we're not going to look away. Uh, you know, we're, we're not going to turn a blind eye to these atrocities. We're not going to see which, which he alleged, you know, pictures or images, or at least reports of, of infants being beheaded. Mm. We're not going to look away from that. And that's going to justify every bit of aid and, and assistance we give to uh, Israel. And so I, I, I think he's been pretty good. He's again, he, you know, he, he has his moments in, in which he, he, he rambles and it becomes incoherent. But I think, you know, again, to your point, Scott, about, you know, in, in 60 years, when we look back and just sort of read this script, we'll say he said exactly what he needed to say. Doesn't always carry himself the right way. The whole, you know, they had that barbecue and stuff. It's a bad look, obviously. The, the, you know, I, I think he's mishandled both the $6 billion and the um, American hostages slash deaths that have occurred. Uh, I think he's mishandled talking about those too but i think again the core of the speeches uh, has been has been positive and he did send a couple carrier groups he did over there to, yeah. to be ready i, I like, have to say by the way 22 americans at least yeah 22 americans dead i yeah. mean I, I haven't heard anybody talking about this i i mean 
a bunch of terrorists killed 22 Americans. Yeah. I'm, look, Israel's going to take care of these people. I'm confident of it, and we're obviously helping them. But there is some world where you, if you were the president of the United States, might have an impulse to do a little bit of carpet bombing. Yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, they killed 22 Americans at least. Others are still missing. And I haven't really heard that much. I guess, I guess there's just an assumption that Israel's going to handle all of it here. But, man, I got to tell you, I'm more hawkish than maybe a lot of people, but I, I just— if I, the the impulse to want to avenge, to me would be really strong. Um, but one of the issues about this this moment is just how precise we need the president to be. Like the language has to be precise. I mean, all political leaders need to have precision. Yeah. Biden's comments from the White House were were precise. I think lacking in one area, but precise. But I'd like to play this clip of Donald Trump which came out today, talking about uh, the situation. <laughs> and honestly, I I don't know. I know he's kind of a freewheeler, and I know he just kind of is a stream-of-consciousness guy, but Kevin, let's hear from the president. And then two nights ago, I read all of Biden's security people. Can you imagine national defense people? And they said, gee, I hope Hezbollah doesn't attack from the north because that's the most vulnerable spot. I said, wait a minute. You know, Hezbollah is very smart. They're all very smart. The press doesn't like when they say it. You know, I said that President Xi of China, 1.4 billion people, he controls it with an iron fist. I said, he's a very smart man. They killed me the next day. I said he was smart. Under no what circumstances do you got to hand it to Hezbollah. You don't right. have to call them smart. <sighs> he's not the president. He is just a candidate. But Lord have mercy. This is a moment for precision in language and clarity, moral clarity. And really, it's not about you, man. Like, that's the other thing about this rant. You know, he goes from talking about the situation in Israel to talking about how terrible he got it, you know, when he mentions things. It's just, I don't know, (laughs) very troubling. Other parts of that speech, I think he goes on to criticize Bibi Netanyahu, the prime minister of Israel who is, you know, up against it right now uh, because— over credit for who killed an Iranian general. Yeah, I I don't know, man. I this this is the kind of stuff that it's just it's not going to work. This is not this is not what we need right now. That having been said, political situation, Biden is in the tank. Yeah. Trump is rising. Uh there was a poll out of Michigan today. Trump was killing Biden in Michigan. A poll out of Pennsylvania. Uh Trump was up on Biden in Pennsylvania. I mean the over the last few weeks, the media hasn't really covered it this way. The bottom has fallen out of Biden, I mean, in some of these states. And and so uh, we'll see how this foreign policy crisis changes perception. You know, the, we've talked about this a lot, Kevin, The you know, where the lines on the graph really crossed for Biden right. was the Afghanistan pullout. That's when he went underwater. He's never come back. Uh, and so now here's the next big foreign policy moment, and we'll see. Uh, we'll see if— uh, if it changes his uh, fortune. So we're going to follow the war, uh, obviously, over the next, uh, next few days and and uh, see who, who does what out there. Uh, and some of this is going to, uh, I guess, some of the action on this from an American policy perspective will take place in the U.S. Congress and specifically in the U.S. House of Representatives, which is presently paralyzed uh, by lack of having a Speaker of the House. So the update tonight on Wednesday is they had a conference meeting Today and Steve Scalise of Louisiana uh, narrowly defeated Jim Jordan. It was like one thirteen to ninety nine in conference, and so the official nominee of the conference is Scalise. Now, when they get to the floor, this does not prohibit other people being nominated or voted for. I guess right. Uh, and it it appears from some of the reporting tonight, Kevin and Jared, that other people are going to get votes. Some people are still saying they're going to vote for Jordan. Ken Buck is saying he's not going to vote for anybody. Uh, it's uh, it's still a very unsettled situation. To, just before we talk about everybody else, Jim Jordan has said he's voting for Steve Scalise and has encouraged everyone else to as yep, well. Right, um, which is good. It, which is good. You know that that's what he wants. He he says the Republican Party needs to be unified, 
and that's the message that he's taking into it, which I think is great. Uh, and Steve Scalise and his team are clearly working hard. They didn't just win the vote for the nomination. They also defeated what they saw as a, a, a rule change that would just hurt the conference, yeah. changing the way the, the conference selects a nominee. Uh, yeah, this, I, I, I think there's a good sign in here for Scalise because a lot of people didn't think he could get nominated today or even make it this far. I think there's a pretty nasty food fight ahead because, you know, he's not at 217, 218 yet. He's not there. Well, he has to, yeah, he has to get these votes on the floor. Yeah. I mean, let's not forget 96% of the Republican conference supported McCarthy. Scalise is nowhere near yeah, <laughs> 96% right. right now. And that wasn't enough. And so I don't know. I mean, I, if he had the votes, they'd have voted today. Exactly. I guess, Jared. I don't know what you're seeing up there, but yeah, yeah, I don't know. It, it, there's because it just factions become more factions. I saw that um, Dan Crenshaw is apparently whipping for Scalise now too, and so that's upsetting the more like MAGA people groups too. And it's it's you know there's no pathway. Like you got to go get the people to get the votes and that makes you lose the other votes and then you get their votes. So you lose the, I mean, it's just this like cycle of figuring out how to get eight people on your, your team when all along they should have been there, except maybe Nancy may some fine with maybe leaving her behind at this point. Um, but it's just, it's, it's just this bizarre cycle. I don't know, not to be like, maybe this, Maybe the war in, in Israel is the moment where it's like, hey, there's bigger things going on. <laughs> like things are bigger than myself and my fundraising emails. And the government shuts down in two weeks. Well, <laughs> it's not. It's more but, than that. Yeah. Isn't it like mid-November? It was like forty uh, days, f- forty-five days from when McCarthy cut the yeah. deal. It's not two weeks. So, okay, two and a half. So weeks. You're such an alarmist. <laughs> yeah, that's me. <laughs> a fire alarmist. Watch out, guys. Yeah, really, really. <laughs> yeah. By the way, speaking of Mace. <laughs> tweets today we were supposed to have a vote for speaker at 3 p.m today and now it looks like there's no vote the american people want us to get back to work let's go in all caps i retweeted this with the hot dog guy we're all <laughs> yeah. looking for the guy who did, this. who did this well mace is saying she won't vote for scalise right uh so she's i mean there's a bunch of them that are saying this yeah. you've got uh marjorie taylor green uh, Max Miller of Ohio, Troy Nels of Texas, Mary Miller of Illinois, Warren Bobert, of course, Colorado. He won Matt Gates though. Oh, good. Yeah. Did he? Uh, so they're saying they're going to vote for Jordan, and then you've got Mace, and then you got Ken Buck, who's saying nobody. Even um, Mike Turner, the head of the Intelligence Committee tonight, said he's undecided. Hmm. Quote: He came out with 110 votes. He needs 217. He's going to have to give us a message or an understanding of how he's going to bridge the gap. Thomas Massey, my congressman from Kentucky here, uh, he thinks there's 20 Republicans who currently oppose Scalise. So there's still obviously more conversations to be had and deals to be cut. And the policy implications here are interesting because I suspect what's going to happen is somebody's going to try to tie aid for Israel to aid for Ukraine. And there's going to be a bunch of Republicans that don't want to do that. And so... um, you you know you wonder uh, what's going on behind the scenes. So still an unsettled uh, situation in the U.S. House. Question: Do you, so if you remember back in January, it felt like three lifetimes ago uh, when McCarthy became Speaker uh, through fifteen ballots, probably about ballot thirteen, Trump got involved and started making calls yeah. uh, so he could take credit for it at the end. Do you think he's going to get involved well, here? Well, he already got involved. He endorsed Jordan. <laughs> That's another thing here. Trump endorsed Jordan unequivocally. Yeah, early. And got beat. It did not sway the conference. I mean, a majority of the Republicans in the House Republican conference went against Donald Trump. I've been wondering all day, like, how pissed is he? <laughs> I mean, honestly, like, is he mad at people that went against him? I guess it's a, I guess it's a secret ballot. It's a secret ballot. So yeah. he won't really know. This is one of the when when things are secret ballot. By the way, in in a in a political organization, how many times you walk up to somebody in the hallway and go, "Oh, I I was with you. Sorry, man. I voted for you because <laughs> I you know." Yeah. I'm sure like 220 people have told uh, Jim Jordan, I was with you. <laughs> I was with you. I voted for you. Right. Sorry. Sorry it didn't work out. I was with you, though. <laughs> It'll be the same with Trump. When he uh, Did you vote for Jordan? Oh, yes. As soon as you said you were for him, I cast my vote. First bu- thing I did. <laughs> I can't believe those other <laughs> traitors went against you, Mr. President. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. I don't know. I was surprised. I thought 
I thought Trump might be a little more influential. I, you know, I, I think I read in the conference rules that had it gone to another ballot, they would have had to have done an open roll call. Oh, really? Which could have changed the dynamic. Mm. Uh, so, anyway. So, Speaker of the House, not settled. Um, and uh, we'll be watching that over the next few weeks. Uh, one other political thing to talk about this week, Kentucky governor's race. Hey. Going on here. We're in October. We're a month out. Uh, I'm seeing yard signs popping up out there. Mm. Also seeing some other stupidity pop up out there, such as the uh, Emerson College Fox 56 poll that had Daniel Cameron at 33%. Let me just tell you something. If you take a poll in the state of Kentucky in the month of October and you show the Republican nominee for any office at 33%, and you don't immediately look at that and realize how stupid you are, uh, you're doing something wrong. So right. that that is... That, a Republican nominee is not, <laughs> I'm just, I'm sorry, is not at 33. So that was dumb. But then on the heels of that, Kevin, this uh, website, Decision Desk, which I actually follow, uh, they came out and put out a memo about just how bad the polling has been in political campaigns in Kentucky, really going back to 2014. Why don't you tell us what they said? Because I think, I think it's important to put some of this head-to-head polling in context. Yeah, they, they do a great job. I think they go back and look at the last 40 polls here well, in look, Kentucky. I, I'm, I'm old enough to remember when the Louisville Courier-Journal was putting out polls in October of 2014 saying Allison Grimes was going to beat Mitch McConnell. Yeah. I mean, it's bad. And it's then they, bad. They shut down their, their pollster. They just said, we, we can't do it here yeah. in Kentucky anymore. Uh, yeah, th- this this great article goes through a lot of the reasons that or j- just looking at a lot of why the state has bedeviled pollsters for so long. Um, and it, here, I, I can't, I really, this is a quote. I really can't exaggerate how bad the horse race polling is in the state. Harry Enton addressed it back in 2015. The problem just won't go away. They went through 40 polls released in the final months of the campaigns. And he, he asked one of his colleagues, of the 40, how many do you think? underestimated Republicans, 39 out of the 40 polls underestimated Republican performance in Kentucky. Yeah, basically the pollsters cannot figure out how to capture Republican support. You know who can figure it out, though, are the people who count the votes in the actual elections because Mm -hmm. Republicans have been winning a lot of elections and defying pollster predicts. So I'm not I'm not really I'm not really paying that much of attention to it. I mean, obviously, it's just sort of junk food for for politicos to look at these things and whatever. But I just, I don't know. I mean, yeah. I, I think back, Jared, to 2015. Matt Bevan. I'm not sure there was ever a poll that showed him ahead. He was drastically outspent. Yeah, There was an unpopular Democrat incumbent president in the White House. There were economic anxieties. There was a bunch of social conservative angst out there about stuff going on in our culture. Um, And Daniel Cameron's a heck of a lot more likable character than Matt, than Matt Bevan was. So I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. I'm for Daniel. I believe Daniel can, will, and should win. Um, But I just think this polling, I don't know. We've got a proven history of just having crap polling here, man. And we've talked to some pollsters here on the pod saying, can't you guys get this yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> well, it's, Fix your you industry, know, guys. Our, our side does kind of hit on, like, Oh, the polls, the polls, the polls a lot. Um, and I think it really started with the like New York Times, Donald Trump, Hillary Clinton, in which it was like 99% Hillary, but um, Nate Silver of 538 fame or infamy uh, has always said they were razor sharp margins in a lot of states. They leaned Hillary in all of those states and sort of like ends up turning her way. And so things in the end were maybe closer than they appear not the case in Kentucky in that same piece. They say uh, worse. The consistent undercount was the scale of enough that uh, quote, they were double digit yields uh, to average a eight point miss on the Republican side. So it's not like they've missed in the last 40 polls, but they were off by like half a percentage and sort of like just ended up leaning the wrong way. You're talking an average of an eight point miss so that could have been 20 points in one poll you know like 
that that's bad. Like that's shocking. Um, I think most of us would give a leeway of a few points here or there. And it's like, yeah, well, you know, they had Bashir up too, but we all knew it was going to be close one way or the other. I mean, you're talking eight point average, eight point miss. Like that's, that's bad. That's I mean, just, shocking. just this year, yeah. they, they undercounted Republican support for Daniel Cameron in his primary. Well, this yeah. pollster, this, this Emerson college, uh, what they miss Daniel by like 15 points yeah. or something. It was bad. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And they they missed the order, uh, and so they had a rough track record here. And, you know, it's, I know media organizations love to put out polls, but you know, you sort of get what you pay for. Mm-hmm. I, my guess is they bought an extraordinarily cheap product here. I mean, they only talked to four hundred and fifty people. Yeah, I. So I guess my advice is, it's hard to poll Kentucky. The polls that do come out tend to undercount what Republicans are doing. Uh, and um, and so you know, if you were an Andy Bashir supporter, you'd say, well. Uh, you know, he's been a relatively popular incumbent. He's got lots of money. He's got more TV ads, you know, blah, blah, blah. And if you're a Daniel Cameron supporter, you'll say, look, we're a Republican state. Joe Biden's in the toilet. And uh, and we have and, a once in a generation candidate. Yeah, <laughs> he's very talented. And by the way, who's been running a substantive campaign. Oh, yeah. On education and, and, and crime and other things. It's interesting to me, Kevin, that um, all the players in this race, the Cameron campaign... The Republican Governors Association, Club for Growth. So all the, the entities you're seeing advertising appear to have come into strategic alignment in the last few days. And that strategy is remind everybody that Andy Bashir strongly supports Joe Biden. Let's hear one of the ads. Joe Biden destroys our economy. Andy Bashir defends him. I don't want to be critical of what the president's doing because at least he's trying. We at least ought to give the president some kudos. And a big thanks also to Governor Andy Bashir. He's trying to help us. Biden's bankrolling Bashir's re-election, funneling a quarter million dollars in donations. Bashir and Biden or Trump and Daniel Cameron. Trump's choice, our champion. Club for Growth Action is responsible for the content of this ad. So that's Club for Growth, which has been one of the big advertisers. And the other ad uh, that we've seen in the water uh, came out of the affiliate for the Republican Governors Association, Kevin. And here's what they had to say. On the things that really matter, Andy Bashir is just like Joe Biden. With crime soaring in Kentucky, Bashir and Biden coddle criminals. While Biden destroys the economy, Bashir destroys Kentucky jobs, with fewer people working today than when he took office. Bashir is even bringing Biden's radical transgender agenda to Kentucky, then lying about it. Safety, jobs, and kids. On the things that really matter, Bashir and Biden are one and the same. So, uh, obviously, and then last week on the show, we played Daniel Cameron's new ad, which his hymn to camera, uh, talking about how he has stood up to Joe Biden and that Andy Bashir is too weak to do so. So we're really seeing a nationalization uh, of the race, Kev. And apparently Andy Bashir is okay with that. This week he endorsed Joe Biden for re-election, said he would proudly support him. So I think uh, th- that's another round of ads that they could run here. He, uh, well, he sat down with the Election Herald Leader editorial board. Yep. Uh, and, and yeah, just said he's, he's endorsing him. And he so ta- he takes Joe Biden's money yeah. and we know what he does for his donors. Yeah. The campaign finance reports are very clear. 250 grand transferred in from Biden to Bashir. He's now endorsed him for reelection. Uh, so, um, you know, we'll see how, we'll see how that plays. Is, uh, Joe Biden very popular in Kentucky? Not, not as so much. No, no, not, not, not as much as you. No, no. <laughs> not, uh, not really at all. Um, so uh, Biden, Bashir, Biden, Bashir. That's what you're going to be hearing for the next. Uh, yeah. I, can I say two weeks this time? Or? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This place is geographical oddity. We're two weeks from everywhere. According to, <laughs> according to Kevin. Uh, uh, also in the governor's race. And so it's Wednesday night that we're recording this. Uh, but beginning on Thursday, tomorrow, the debate season starts and Daniel Cameron and Andy Bashir will meet in what? I guess is technically their first debate. Yeah. At the Paducah Area Chamber of Commerce. It's weird. The rules are like they're both on stage and they're both answering the same question, but there's no rebuttal time exactly. And if you want to rebut, you've got to dig in. And it's a little strange. It's sort of half a joint press conference, kind of half a debate. <laughs> they're easing into it. There are right. other actual debates to come K E T, W K Y T, um, 
uh, one in Northern w- Kentucky, I think. Yeah. WLKY, uh, maybe. So, so there will yeah. be some some other debates. But this, the debating season begins tomorrow. So we'll see how Cameron and Bashir uh, play that. And that that debate is always very interesting because it's it's always focused extremely on local regional issues. Yeah. To West Kentucky, yeah. that you know sometimes likes to or th- th- thinks they feel left out. Um, so it's not going to be it's going to be different from what than what we're hearing the rest of the race. Yeah, th- this is a classic. Uh, just to talk a little campaign strategy. So you've got one of these regional debates, and the questions are going to be hyper local, and there is an audience in the room, and they are streaming it. But obviously, uh, reporters are going to cover it, and so the challenge is to answer the questions that are very local, but also get into themes that would be impactful to voters everywhere. So I'm in- anxious to see how uh, how uh, both candidates play that. And so uh, I think we'll be prepared to talk about that on the pod next week. Uh, as we wrap up on Flower Country with Scott Jennings, that's me, this week, uh, guys, any seen, read, or heard from you all? Jared, what's on your mind? Oh, um, now we do this every week. Think, <laughs> I know. I'm trying to think. Of, that was quick. It was a quick transition. Um, do you want? Yeah, Joe to, usually gives us a long okay, no, wind I, up. I, got one. I know. I got I, one. That's the thing. I've no. cut out all the extraneous all the, Joe yeah, commentary the and yeah. the preambles and the. I like now, it. now, can you all tell me how to use <laughs> this app on my phone? Well, while we do that, you can think of what you got to say next. No, that's all. That's gone. Um, that's all. That's out of the pod. This is this is Scott ship okay, now, and it's tight. <laughs> it's a tight. I'll ship. go real. Uh, I'll go real like millennial Gen Z. Then are you guys reality TV people at all? Like ever gotten into like a really bad reality TV show? Ugh, I, don't I know, watched man. Survivor like, a little bit. Back that's, in the I guess that's maybe kind of. I would maybe consider that. Um, I watched for the first time, not really willingly, but some people I was with put it on this show called Love Is Blind. Oh yeah. Okay, I've watched that. <laughs> okay, all right. That's on its fifth season on Netflix, and apparently it's huge. It's got like a huge following, and you know, Instagram accounts for these, you know, the the contestants. And I had never seen it before. I didn't really get the concept of the show, but um, Scott just very quickly these people fall in love, get engaged. And marry without really ever seeing each other. You're burying, right? you, you're burying the lead here. It's wait. hosted by Nick Lachey and his wife. And yes, hold yeah. on, hold on. They never see each other at all. Yes, they're, they're or in, just their faces. They're at all. They're in like pods where they can talk yeah. to one another through a, a barrier. It's like a like a like speed a, dating with like yes, lots of people speed and lots of with, pods. Yeah, and it is the most incredible reality TV. I don't know who does the casting, but they need a raise <laughs> and 40% raise and four days a week is not enough for this person. Uh, they have cast the most incredible. They're just the, it's just perfect, bad reality TV. It is just binge watchable. It makes you feel good about yourself because it's well, wait just a minute. like, let me ask you a pe- question. Do these people yeah. ever like, how do they interact? But through like a plate glass window. I mean, it's like. But they, they physically talk. never, ever see each other. They like, get oh, married? Oh, no, once they, once they, they are prepared commit. to propose, yes. then they have their first meeting at the proposal. What, do yeah. any, does anybody ever back out? Yes. And then, oh. then, then the, the bulk of the show <laughs> oh my God. is, yeah, is them walking toward the altar. How many people yeah. back out? Most. All the time. Wait! The, you're telling me that they go through all this song and dance only to back out? Yeah. Because yes. they laid eyes on each other? All right, <laughs> I'm just gonna ask you I'm just gonna ask you a question. I've never seen any of this. Yeah. Like how like how bad is it? It's so bad it's good. No, 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 no. Like like when they see each other, like I mean, are are these people so reasonably I, I, normal? I, I've or never like, I've never seen somebody got like a third arm growing out of their forehead. <laughs> I've like never what is seen the... anybody look at the person and be like, actually I'm good. <laughs> uh, yeah, like no, how do they handle it's it? It's not it's 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 typically like kind of normal people and that you wouldn't you know, the idea is like to to take some of those appearance things away, but they're all generally kind of normal people. But of course, like any other good reality TV show, you have a couple glasses of wine and then somebody's like, well, do you actually like sports? And they're like, well, no, I just said that. And then it just explodes, you know, like it's and and of course, because it's kind of like speed dating, there's they they do this like amazing thing where like they'll be you know professing their love to every girl okay. in the po- I mean it's just incredible. All right. All right. Well, I wasn't going to bring this up, but since you did, I'm just going to append it to your scene red herd. You know, 
there is this other dating show called Naked Attraction <laughs> that has come on. I guess it started in Britain, and now they've got it on HBO Max or just Max. Mm-hmm. And I haven't seen it, but I read about it because it was in the news. And essentially, based on my reading of this, they put absolutely nude people behind some kind of a screen. And during the course of the show, the screen goes up. So it starts with their feet. And then so like incrementally, (laughs) you see chunks of their naked body. And so fairly quickly, you get to the to the genitalia. Mm-hmm. Then it keeps going, and the last thing you end up seeing is their face. I got, It's on Max, which is also where you can watch the CNN streaming. <laughs> so, <laughs> so you can watch me. That was a nice plug there. Yeah. You can watch that me. Was. Is there on, a cross-promotional? Or you, or you can watch Naked Attraction, <laughs> and, uh, and uh, you know, we'll see if the two ever meet. <laughs> uh, Unbelievable. Uh, but, but anyway, some people are thinking that this is going to be a hit because of the voyeuristic nature of sort of American culture right now. And some people Mm -hmm. are thinking this is the most repulsive thing that's ever happened. It's called naked attraction, but it is full frontal nude. So you end up seeing everything from the neck down before before you ever see their Mm -hmm. face. And I guess maybe they also have some verbal interaction, but the picture I saw in one of the articles, it's like, it's like a whole there's a whole bunch of people behind. So there's like several contestants. And so the screen is going up. And so you're like instantly comparing the bodies <laughs> of these nude people. Yeah. It just the more I describe it out loud, the worse I feel our, about our, our culture society. is falling. <laughs> Gee whiz. So anyway, that's going on. Golly. Kevin, what's yours? Uh it, it happened today here at work at uh, our office building where we record the podcast. We had our annual fire drill. Oh, yes. But it was first off. Nobody was here. Everybody got the notice that the fire drill was coming. And, I did and, not. And, I did not stick around. For yeah, worked from home today. <laughs> but uh, kudos to the office. They took the fire drill and added fire and ice. They hosted an ice cream truck in the parking lot for all all of the unhappy workers who just had to climb down ten flights of stairs. Uh, so, oh wait, you had to go down the staircase in a fire drill. Yeah, you can't use the uh, elevators. But it's not a real fire. But it's a drill. First off, like we, like we, a drill, like to train how to go down the stairs. We we probably need to talk. The fire alarm in this building is very quiet. I was on a phone call. Get Jared Bowman on distance. the phone. Get that yeah, congressman. Yeah. He is the expert on this. <laughs> we need to get him on. Like he needs to consult on it. On so next time your company has a fire drill, add an ice cream truck. It kind of makes the whole time better. Wow. So did you get an ice cream? I did. Well, a little chocolate. What's your favorite ice cream? Ooh. Uh, probably a. Chocolate chip cookie dough. Okay, That's Jared. Probably mint chocolate chip. Oh, my kids like that. They're into the yeah. mint. Yeah. Mm, interesting. Scott? Whenever I get ice cream, which is probably too often, I like to get two scoops. I like to get one scoop of chocolate and one scoop of either a pistachio or a butter pecan. Wow. And I like to mix them together. This, mm. this truck had a uh, sugar-free butter pecan option, which I thought was just... Yeah. Rude. It's ice yeah. cream. What are we doing? <laughs> right. What I like to do is get my cone, and I like to have it revealed bit by bit. <laughs> and then the last thing you find out is what actually the flavor is. While you're is. watching CNN on streaming. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's see. What is my scene read and heard? I didn't put a ton of thought into this. It's hard to host you, this. You knew and it was coming. I know. <laughs> I know. Oh, well, I'll tell you one thing. I It's too bad Sean isn't here. I finally uh, I did jam through all the episodes of Ahsoka. Yeah. On Disney Plus, I got through that. I thought it was pretty good. There's one character in there who I think actually was accidentally, he wandered onto the set. He was supposed to be on Lord of the Rings something, but he sort of wandered into the Star Wars. Did he also have the Starbucks cup like they did in Lord of the Rings? Well, you know, he looks like a Lord of the Rings character. He has a name like one, Balin. Mm. He he sounds like one, but he, he has a lightsaber. But anyway, so I thought it was pretty good. Um... So there's that. All right. I don't know what else. I've been watching more football this year. I'm never. Yeah, I'm not the biggest football fan. It's your fantasy team. Well, I do, and I yeah. and I'm glad you brought that up because I wanted to point out I'm whooping both y'all. Yeah. Something fierce really? in the fantasy yeah, football league. Jared is. You're three and two. 
What are you doing? Yeah. We don't need to talk about. Are you zero five? Yes, I am. <laughs> oh, I, I made no. some okay. some big changes this week. We really had a, a serious talk in the locker room. Uh, <laughs> Yikes! Yeah, Kevin's off to a rough start. <laughs> I think I, I think I beat you one week already, Jared. I'm five oh, and zero. Maybe I'm five I'll and zero. T- maybe I'll I tell haven't. you uh, what's been kind of crazy for me. I was with. Uh, uh, I, I was at a friend's party this weekend, but was with a bunch of women who mandated I put on the Kansas City Chiefs game oh so boy. that they could watch Travis Kelsey. Yeah. And so I'll leave it at that. I won't give my thoughts on what that means for the sport or whatever, but I hate to this break it. Kelsey these, uh, Swift thing is taking over the world. I hate to break it, but Kittle may be better than Kelsey. <laughs> I have Kittle on my fantasy or Kelsey on my fantasy team. He's been terrible this year. I have he's, Kittle he three seemed, touchdowns. Yeah. last week. He seems a little distracted by something. The breakup song is going to be great. Whenever it comes Ugh. out, we know that. <laughs> yeah, man. Um, okay. I think, I think we've Maybe covered she the water. Should go it. on love is blind or uh, what's the <laughs> naked attraction. No, can't put her on there. Come Dude, on, could man. you imagine the numbers that would do for your network, though? I mean, yes, I can imagine. <laughs> yes. But, uh, man. All right. Uh, I think that's going to do it uh, for Kevin and for Jared. Joe, wherever you are, we miss you. Sean, I think you should actually call the police about Sean and file a missing persons missing, report. Yeah, it's been- he is just MIA. We need Sean. He doesn't do a ton on the show, but like, I don't know. There's something soothing about his presence, and in the and the things he does add are occasionally useful. So, would like to get him back in here at some point. If he doesn't come back, we could start auditioning replacements. I think it's about that time. Potting attraction is what we'll call it, and we'll have a. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just just hold that there. I'm gonna play the music now. All right. Kevin, thank you. Jared, thank you. I'm Scott Jennings. This is Flyover Country. Come back. Oh, 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 oh. One final announcement. We're doing some candidate interviews. Oh, yeah. Yes. And uh, those are going to be coming out as special episodes. So Allison Ball, candidate for state auditor, is coming out pretty soon. And we've got others uh, set to tape. So we'll look forward to giving you some. State auditor. Yeah, auditor. Yeah. Hmm. You said treasurer, right? No, she is the treasurer. And I said she was running for auditor, I think. Yeah, you said candidate for auditor. Candidate Ah. candidate for auditor. Got treasure on the mind. I know. You because oughta, we also have Mark Metcalf coming in. You ought to listen to me more closely. <laughs> Can I play the music now? <laughs> See ya. Flyover Country with Scott Jennings is a production of Bluegrass Media Lab, coming to you from the heart of middle America, Louisville, Kentucky. If you like what you heard, subscribe to Flyover Country on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your favorite podcast. Mm-hmm.